0: $100 million in jury verdicts and settlements for serious injury victims, medical malpractice victims, and surviving family members of wrongful death victims. Trial Lawyers for Justice. This is a firm that does not handle frivolous lawsuits. They go after insurance company money, and they're darn good at it. They don't sell their clients out or settle cheaply. Trial Lawyers for Justice, the firm that goes the distance for you their client they treat their clients the way you would want your own family members taken care of nicholas rowley dominic Pachota, and the other trial lawyers in the firm at trial lawyers for justice dedicated to representing the people and their families in iowa minnesota south dakota wisconsin illinois california wyoming and many other states trial lawyers for justice 100 million dollars in settlements and jury verdicts already in 2016 888-811-0844. Trial Lawyers for Justice.
1: You're listening to Sports Econ 101. You know our show. It's where we discuss sports topics from a business perspective. I'm your host, Edward Brown, along with my co-host, Bruce mcgowan long longtime radio sports personality. And today's show is going to be really cool because who are we going to have on as a guest?
2: Yeah, Ken Korak, uh, the number one radio voice of the Oakland A's, will be joining us. And Ken worked with Bill King, the legendary broadcaster who, if you don't live in Northern California, you may not have heard of him, but he broadcast the Oakland Raiders, NFL team, for 26 years, radio play-by-play. Play. Golden State Warriors, before that they were San Francisco's Warriors, for 21 years, and for 25 years the Oakland A's. And he's just been named, Ken, to the, uh, to the Baseball Hall of Fame, which it's kind of sad because it happened 10 years after he died, but as they say, better late than never. And we have a highlight here from, this is maybe the most famous Bill King call. It's It's called the Holy Roller Game, and for those that haven't heard of it, It's from 1978. The Raiders are playing at San Diego. They're trailing by six points. There is uh, eight seconds to go. They have the ball at the Charger 30-yard line. I was at this game. I was a young broadcaster working in Eureka, sitting in the booth with Bill King and Scotty Sterling, his cohort, and let's listen to how Bill called this amazing play. Here we go. The crowd takes up a
3: can of... Robisky and Banaszak on the back. Slot right. Branch inside. Bradshaw. Stabler back. Here comes a rush. He sidesteps. Can he throw? He can't. The ball flip forward is loose. Well. A wild scramble. Two seconds on the clock. Casper grabbing the ball. It is rolled a fumble. Casper has recovered in the end zone. The Olsen Raiders have scored on the most zany, unbelievable, absolutely impossible dream of a play. Madden is on the field. He wants to know if it's real they said yes get your big butt out of here he does there's nothing real in the world anymore the Raiders won the football game the Chargers are standing looking at each other they don't believe it nobody believes it I don't know if the Raiders believe it it's not real 52,000 people minus a few lonely Raider fans are stunned a man would be a fool to ever try and write a drama and make you
2: believe it. This one will be relived forever. So there you go. Great call from Bill King. And, of course, that was one of those games that uh, we'll always remember if you were there.
1: All right. Stay with us. Sports
4: Econ 101. we will be right back. This is Mark Honf, co-host of Mortgage Investing 101. Did you know that you can earn, year in and year out, returns of 8% and more on your savings and retirement accounts? Mortgage-backed investment strategies such as trusted investing in mortgage pool funds can do just that. Since 2008, clients of Pacific Private Money have consistently earned high yields on their investments. Find out for yourself how you, too, can profit from these real estate-secured investments. Call 415-883-2150 or visit our website at pacificprivatemoney.com.
5: Whether you're a local or entertaining visitors, check out the new Cityscape Viewing Lounge at the Hilton San Francisco Union Square for 360-degree views that are out of this world. This new San Francisco landmark serves up premium wines by the glass and locally crafted beers, as well as tempting appetizers, all of which complement the city's landmark vistas. The Cityscape Viewing Lounge at the Hilton San Francisco Union Square.
6: This adrenaline-inducing sport is perfect for birthday parties, corporate team building, or a casual outing with friends. Make the right choice for your wallet. Get in on the fastest-growing action sport with this deal from Paintball Tickets by going to sportsecon101.com and clicking on the Play Paintball button.
7: Are you the parent of a 2- to 7-year-old? Listen closely for an exciting free radio offer. By now, you've probably heard of ABC Mouse, the Parents' Choice Award-winning online learning program that's actually changing the lives of early learners everywhere. ABC Mouse is like a little one-on-one teacher. It has helped her so much. Right now, we're offering a special radio promo to try it free for a month. But you have to go to abcmouse.com slash free to claim your free month. That's abcmouse.com slash free.
1: Welcome back to Sports Econ 101. I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with Bruce McGowan. Bruce, who do we have on the phone?
6: A good friend of
2: ours, Ken Korak, longtime uh, broadcaster on radio with the Oakland A's. And Ken had the uh, special thrill of getting the news that uh, his late partner, the legendary Bill King, who, as we mentioned, broadcast the Raiders and Warriors and then in the A's also for 25 years, was just named to the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame, a, an honor that was long in coming. and. Ken, uh, great stories about Bill King. I mean, where do you start with him? You spent the last 10 years of his career alongside him, getting to work with him, which must have been just such a pleasure. Uh, can you tell us any little asides about Bill King? Because there are a lot of our listeners, uh, as I mentioned in the, in the opening of the show, who are not from Northern California. And Bill was exclusively a Northern California guy, with the exception of the few years that the Raiders played in L.A.
8: Well, he was, and thanks for having me on. And I guess I'll start with... Um... The main reason I wrote my book about Bill and why I felt so strongly about his candidacy for the Frick Award for the Hall of Fame was just how great he was to me. He was incredibly gracious and supportive in a situation where it might have been tough for me because I replaced Lon Simmons. And as you guys know, Bill and Lon spent 15 years together in the A's booth, and now it's so fitting that they're both Frick Award recipients, but um, it could have been a daunting thing for me, coming into the booth and replacing Lon, but Bill reached out to me, and uh, that was the way it was the entire time we worked together. He was an amazing guy, as you both know. His interests ran the full spectrum, the full gamut, and uh, I thought it, that all of that added a texture to his broadcast because he was someone who was more than just a baseball or basketball or football announcer. He was he was really a remarkable guy.
2: And one of the things we all loved about Bill King, too, is that it didn't matter whether he was doing the NBA or the NFL or Major League Baseball, he just sounded like that was the sport that he was meant to be yeah, doing.
1: exactly. I mean, there aren't too many guys who can cross over like that.
8: Yeah, there's no doubt. I think that, that the thing that was amazing about doing all three sports, and a lot of people have done have done all three, and, but maybe not at the level that Bill did them, and especially at the Major League level because of the overlap of the season. It's one thing to be versatile. It's another thing to do it without getting any sleep. One I mean, things about Bill, he had such a passion for life that if he slept for five or six hours, he felt like he was being robbed of part of the day. Wow. So he could somehow get by on three or four hours sleep, and he'd be running around all over the country when the seasons would overlap when he was doing the Raiders and the A's and the Warriors at the same time.
2: I remember one story about Bill. He told me when he went to New York, the thing he loved the most was that he would prowl the museums. I said, Bill, where do you have the time to do that? He goes, oh, I get up at at dawn and uh, do a little exercise, then rush right over to the Museum of Modern Art or the Metropolitan Museum or the Guggenheim, and he just loved to peruse and and prowl through those, those halls and look at those pictures. I know he was also into classical music, but when he went to New York, he just ate up that culture, didn't he?
8: He really did, and he was a connoisseur of the arts and also of fine dining and he and he, you know, his life ran the full spectrum like i said when it came to his culinary habits um as mickey morbido said in one of the stories that i read in uh the bay area papers today you could find him one day at a five-star restaurant with a tuxedo on and the next morning he'd be out at some taqueria um <laughs> i love it you know he's mm-hmm. just incredible and you know, he might have had a Dos Equis in a taco <laughs> or something
9: for breakfast. And
8: then he'd go back uh, take a nap, and he'd be ready to go for the game that night. So, um, man, he really left no stone unturned when it came to his life.
2: Uh, one thing I loved about uh, the, the the service that was held in, for Bill when he passed away, it was only a week, I think, after the 2005 season. He died of a pulmonary embolism during a routine operation, which is one of those Terrible things that can happen. It's just a, a bad break. But Al Davis got up there and gave a very moving speech, and he talked about, in, in kind of a funny little story, he talked about the first time he saw Bill, and uh, Scotty Sterling, I guess, had been the general manager and had hired Bill to do the the Raiders in '66, and he was at training camp, and Al walked by and he sees this little guy cross legged with shorts on and flip flops, taking notes, wearing a mustache and a beard, which in those days in the early in the mid '60s was not real popular among. You know the NFL, and Al went up to Scotty Sterling and said, "Who that? You know, blankety blank as heck, guy? Oh, that's our new broadcaster. What? Who that guy?" <laughs> and then he said, "Then I started listening to him that that uh, that fall, and I realized I'd hired the best guy possible. And of course, he and Al Davis had a wonderful, wonderful relationship.
8: Yeah, they did. They were very close, and they would uh, usually on the road. If the Raiders were on the road somewhere, they would have dinner. Uh, Bill would be part of Davis's party for dinner the night before." And Scotty Sterling is someone, the late Scotty Sterling, someone who had an incredible history with sports in the Bay Area and uh, was very close to Bill. In fact, Scotty worked in the front office for both the Raiders and also the uh, Warriors. And Scotty was in the booth doing color with Bill on the Raider broadcast for some of Bill's most memorable calls with the Raiders over the years.
2: You know what's amazing about Bill's calls, too? Bill did not save anything from his broadcast, and I'm one of these (laughs) kind of audio junkies. I have all of his great calls, especially from the Raiders, but a lot of the Warrior calls and certainly some from the A's later. And I played one of these highlights for Bill once, and he goes, you know, I've never heard that before. He said, I don't even remember. He says, I sound like I was, I was going crazy. I said, well, the, <laughs> game dicta- do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the game dictated it, Bill. But he always, for, the, for that great, especially with the Raiders, they had so many classic finishes with Ken Stabler throwing touchdowns or somebody doing something amazing. He always struck the right note. We, we played that holy roller cut earlier from the game in San Diego. And Ken, you've heard that, that highlight before. It just sounds almost as if it were scripted. I mean, the words just yeah. flowed so perfectly.
8: It really was, and I think that one of the things about Bill is that nobody could describe a a big moment like Bill. I mean, when a game was building to a crescendo, Bill King was the announcer that you want on the air, and you could point to so many things that he did, including Scott Hatterberg's home run to win the 20th game of the year's winning streak, so... Uh, when a moment needed to be crystallized, Bill King was the person you wanted on the air, and he could be. And he could be equally energized if the call went against this team. Um, you know, he was very invested in the A's winning, uh, emotionally involved with the franchise and also the club. But he always felt it was important to give the opposition its due. And even if a big play at the end of the game went against the A's, that didn't mean that Bill would leave, wouldn't leave the booth with a. A sense of excitement from just having the thrill of being in the moment and calling a play that might have decided the game
2: it was fun listening to you guys working together too because I know towards the end of his life, Bill was having some problems actually seeing, and of course uh, following a baseball which is so small and you're you're you know four hundred feet away or whatever you are in the broadcast booth. Uh, I know he relied on you, but never actually did he ever actually have to use you to to tell him where the ball was because I know he, no.
8: Well, there were times, and you know what, it also happens for someone that could be a lot younger because mm. there are ballparks where the glare can be really mm. tough. Yeah, um, I remember doing a game the first year that Comerica Park opened at twilight uh, in the summertime, and the sun was setting, and it was impossible to see the ball, and it wasn't just Bill. Um, I've had this a similar thing happen during a, a day game late in the season in Texas. Uh, I remember one time in, in Detroit when Bill said, I can't see the ball when it gets to the outfield. So when I'm in the middle of the call, you just pick it up and finish up the call for me. <laughs>
9: oh. And I
8: said, I said, Bill, you're the greatest broadcaster who ever lived. I'm not going to step on your call <laughs> or jump in their middle. and he was he was fine. And you know, we just had the kind of relationship. One of the great things about, about Bill was that it, I think your story, Bruce, um, illustrates that there was no ego at all. Yeah. Um, it was all about just getting it right. It didn't matter if I said it or he said it or whoever said it. He was dedicated to making the broadcast as good as it could be, so he didn't come to the table with any, any sense of, well, you know, it's got to be me who makes the call. <laughs> it was all about just getting it right. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. Tell you what, when we come back from uh, break, we're going to play that Scott Hatterberg uh, home run but, by Bill King. And here's our first trivia question. We are talking football here. Now, um, Ken, when we ask the question, if you know the answer, don't say anything yet. We'll let you answer when you come back, okay? All right, so here's the question. Almost everyone knows who played in Super Bowl one and the outcome of that game. But who did the Green Bay Packers and the Kansas City Chiefs defeat? to reach Super Bowl one that's our question alright and you need to email edward at sportsecon101.com the answer to that question and uh, when we come back we're going to play the Scott Hatterberg home run uh, announced by Bill King and then uh, we'll also have Ken talk about what's going on with the Oakland A's don't touch that dial Sports Econ 101 will be right back
7: Rebuild or replace transmission, $3,200. Anti-lock brake system, $1,000. Rebuild or replace engine, $2,400.
10: your process lower your monthly mortgage payments save your home and your credit but you must act now call 800-274-7312 800-274-7312
1: not available in all states paid non-attorney spokesperson welcome back to sports econ 101 again i'm edward brown your host along with bruce mcgowan here was our first trivia question almost everyone knows who played in super bowl one and the outcome of that game but who did the green bay packers and the kansas city chiefs defeat to breach super bowl one
2: I know that answer. I'm oh, you do. Okay. I'm almost positive. I don't know if Ken knows it. Ken and I are about the same age. He might, you know, be one of those creatures of habit who remembers all these superfluous, <laughs> nonsensical facts and figures like me. But for some reason, it just stuck in my mind. Ken, do you, you got a, a, an answer for that? Are you going to just give it a guess? No, I
8: can. I can tell you all about okay. Lenny Austin and Buck Buchanan and Bobby Bell. And yeah, remember Buck Buchanan, even too. though they lost the game. But I thought you've stumped me on that.
2: It was a bu- they beat Buffalo in the AFL title game, and they beat him convincingly. And the the Green Bay Packers uh, won a thrilling game over the G- Dallas Cowboys That's on right. BART Starr's uh, sneak with 13 seconds to go. Oh, that's no the time. Ju- is
1: that the Jerry Kramer? That was the Jerry, the Jerry Kramer, Kramer, Kramer block.
2: block. And yeah. also, the if he ball. hadn't been able to move, uh, I can't remember who the. I think it was oh, Jethro. That, so that Jethro that Pugh. That was the ice ball. Jethro the ice Pugh was, was trying okay, to get to. to uh, yeah, he
8: did Super Bowl one.
2: Okay. That's right, yeah. and it's always considered one of the great games. But if he hadn't been able to move. Uh, Jethro Pugh out of the way, and who, would, if he had been able to tackle Bard Star, the game would have ended because yeah. there was no, there were no timeouts left.
1: And that's still the coldest game on record, I think.
2: Well, I think there have been a couple that are there, but it's right there. It's, it's yeah. right there. Yeah. It's right it there. Like yeah, thirty
1: below with windchill oh, or something ridiculous. crazy. Ridiculous. Okay, so we have Ken Korak on the phone, right? Who's uh, Oakland A's announcer. Right. We've been talking about Bill King for a little bit, and we also have uh, another exciting. Uh, Another exciting clip.
2: moment. This this is from night. I'm um, actually this is from 2000, I believe, or 2002. Ken. 2002. 2002. Yeah. The A's won 20 games that year, and the 20th victory was accomplished. That was the craziest game. Just kind of set the tone for us on what happened in that game, because because I believe the A's had a huge lead, blew it, and then actually won it on Hatterberg's walk off homer.
8: Yeah, it was a Wednesday night at the Coliseum. It was a sellout crowd. It was well over 50,000, and uh, the A's had won 19 consecutive games with Del Sahada and his heroics, incredibly, with a home run-up Eddie Gardado in the ninth inning to win the 18th consecutive game
9: mm.
8: on a Sunday. And then on Labor Day on the Monday, the Royals came to town and to with a base at the center field, with a five-man infield employed by the Royals' manager, Tony Pena, against Jason Grimsley, won the 19th game. It was kind of odd because there was a day off in between, there was a day off on Tuesday, and then the A's and Royals resume what was just a two-game series Wednesday night, and the A's looking for their twentieth consecutive game, and what would turn out to be an American League record for the longest winning streak. And they had Tim Hudson on the mound. They had an eleven to nothing lead, and of course, everybody was thinking this is going to be just a walk to the clubhouse to get it back and and celebrate. Well, it didn't happen that way, and that, of course, set up Bill's historic call of Hatterberg's home run.
1: All right, here, here we go.
11: This year, Hatterberg in pinch hitting rolls is uh, one for five. 269 average. He's gone deep a dozen times.
3: Now the pitch. Swung on, there's a high drive. Hit way back. Right center field. That one is gone. And it's funny. Conception a victories for the Oakland Athletics on an unbelievable night when they lost an 11-0 lead, and now they win it. Heidelberg is mobbed at home plate. The crowd comes back to insane life. Crazy, just plain crazy. How do you explain it? In 103
2: years of American League Baseball, the Athletics have accomplished what no one has before. They have won 20 consecutive
8: games. Oh, a great call by Bill. And,
2: of course, you were alongside for that, uh, that moment, Ken. Uh... I actually was not. Oh,
8: you were? Not, but it oh. was the only game that I missed all year.
2: Is that right? You missed? What were you doing? Were you sick or
8: something? no it's it's a long story, but um, the, the whole story of the call and the winning streak is is layered I'm not sure if it's that interesting but um, Bill was on vacation that weekend of Labor Day, and that's the only reason you hear my voice in the movie in Moneyball uh-huh. with Tejada hitting his uh, the, the heroics I mentioned with the eighteenth and nineteenth consecutive games, although Bill's friends and family had suggested maybe you might want to come back and work those games because this was history. I mean, the A's were on the doorstep of history. And Bill was such a gentleman and, and so gracious. He said, no, I, I committed to missing those games, to staying on vacation, and those games are Ken. He deserves to have the shot to be the lead guy for those games. Well, every year around that time, I had planned on taking a day off around Labor Day because it coincided with our wedding anniversary my wife denise and me
9: nice. also
8: our daughter emily going to school for her first day at school sure and i wanted to be with my family and my wife and daughter for our anniversary and our daughter um uh, starting school again in the fall and so i had planned on taking that day off on that wednesday and it was the only day that i took off all year <laughs> and uh, i remember calling my wife and talking to her after the years and won the 19th straight game and we were talking you know we were considering, well, should I stay and do the game? And then I thought, you know, Bill had taken the time off um, and had missed those games leading off to the 20th game. Uh, Bill and Ray Fossey had planned on doing that 20th game because the game was on ESPN. There was no local television. Mm. And I thought, okay, you know, I've already committed to doing this, and, and um, I'll take the night off. And it worked out just beautifully because Bill had been so gracious in, in staying on vacation and so fitting that he came back and was able to make really what I thought was the call of a lifetime, Mm. and really the punctuation to his career. And if you look at the movie Moneyball, that call of his has been immortalized because of the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, So many people saw it, and the producers of the movie, I think, were able to almost work back from there because they had this incredible climax to the A's winning streak, and Bill's call being the. The perfect exclamation
1: point. Well, oh, yeah. you're a smart man because uh, happy wife, happy life.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
8: <Yeah>. That's a, <laughs> I get it.
2: that's a key. Oh, well, speaking of, of wives, you know, Bill was married to the same gal for many, many years, and I know, um, you know, he was on the road a lot, but it seems like whenever he had some time off, boy, they had such a great time. He was—I uh, I don't know if you mentioned this—I don't think you did, Ken, but he loved to sail, and he had this thirty-six or thirty-eight foot boat that he docked in the. Um, Sausalito Estuary, just across from uh, San Francisco. And in the off-seasons, during the summers before he became the broadcaster, he, is, he used to love to just prowl the bay and go out up and down the coast on that boat with his wife.
8: Yeah, they sailed up to Alaska and back. They sailed to Hawaii. He literally sailed the Black Sea. Um Alaska made a bill of sailing for good reason, because he loved it so much. Some of it has been exaggerated. He never actually really lived on a houseboat in San Salito. Mm. But let's face it: if anybody was going to do that, it would be Bill. <laughs> he had the good yeah, look for uh, it too. I remember Russ Hodges. I he, got to know. They actually, they lived on the boat just for a brief stretch when there was a problem. I think they might have had a fire or something was going on with their sure. house, and they had to move out. And they lived in the harbor for just a brief stretch. And like the the, the misconception that he actually got a technical foul <laughs> over the Mother's Day game um, with when when he. Delivered that X-rated tie rate against Ed Rush. He didn't receive a, a technical foul, but it's such a great part of the story that I'm willing to let it slide. <laughs> yeah, tell us
2: that story uh, because some yeah. of our listeners are going, what, now, what's Ken talking about here? This is going back to the 1970s, I believe.
8: Yeah, it was um, 1968, I think. Okay. I'd have to go back and check the chapter in the book, but it's 1968, and the Warriors are playing the Seattle Supersonic in Seattle, and it was a game of tremendous emotion that wound up going into overtime. And Bill, of course, was an unbridled individual when it came to his uh, feelings about the officials or umpires in baseball. Um, Bill and authority, authority figures were like oil and water. (laughs) So the game got really intense and emotional, and uh, Bill at one point was so incensed with Ed Rush that he... Ripped his headset off, and he thought that the engineer had actually muted the crowd mic. That did not happen, and so as Bill delivered this X-rated irate, um, it was picked up by the crowd mic and picked up over a uh, you know a very uh, strong signal in Northern California, <laughs> and, heard, and heard live and direct by a lot of people.
2: Now it's interesting. They say that he was fined. I think the story goes that Walter yeah, Kennedy, yeah. the the, the uh, NBA uh, commissioner at the time, actually uh, levied a fine against him for the for the for the uh, verbiage. But that uh, Franklin Muley said, "We'll pay the fine gladly." <laughs> That's yeah, the story. Exactly. anyway.
8: Exactly. And um, <laughs> and Hank Greenwald got fined a couple times too. Remember Hank? And oh yeah, he yeah. A great pair, and they worked together. And uh, Franklin Muley said, "You know, I'll pay the fine." And I think the reason that he's, that Jay Walter Kennedy was finding these guys was he was hoping that that the fines would shut those two guys up. <laughs> well, Franklin had their backs, yeah. And so Franklin had this great deep respect for Bill. Yeah. Um, he was actually listening to the Mother's Day game. But the, the great sidebar story about that was that Ed Rush and Bill became friends, and Ed Rush has the highest regard for Bill. Very um, oh, cool. I had I interviewed Ed for my book, and I had to ask him. You know what were you thinking when Bill was screaming at you this uh, X-rated tirade, and we had a great time talking about it, and that was one of the the great interviews I think for the book that provided uh, some of the the background for that the the chapter in the book on Mother's Day. And Ed Rush actually would send Bill a Mother's Day card. <laughs>
1: that's great,
8: I love it on the the anniversary of that call, which is
1: that's great.
8: Like. God, it was, it was December of 1968.
1: Wow, right about this time wow. of the year. Right about this time, yeah. So, uh, Ken, stay with us. Uh, we're going to cut to another commercial break. When we come back, I want to ask you you know, what's going on with the A's, because obviously you're quite involved with them. All right, here we go. Who was the first NFL tight end to catch 10 or more touchdown passes in four seasons? Hmm. All right, that's our question. Stay with us. You're listening to Sports Econ 101. When we come back... We're going to ask Ken Korak about what's going on with the Oakland A's.
4: Whether you're a local or entertaining visitors, check out the new Cityscape
5: Viewing Lounge at the Hilton San Francisco Union Square for 360-degree views that are out of this world. This new San Francisco landmark serves up premium wines by the glass and locally crafted beers, as well as tempting appetizers, all of which complement the city's landmark vistas. The Cityscape Viewing Lounge at the Hilton San Francisco Union Square
1: I can get you a guaranteed policy where the low premiums are fixed anywhere from 10 to 35 years. So email edward at sportsecon101.com right now for your free life insurance quote. That's edward at sportsecon101.com.
7: iHeart Radio, an app so powerful, it holds 20 million songs from 450,000 artists. Thousands of the best live radio stations, custom stations, and stations created just for you. It's anywhere and it's everywhere. Millions of songs, thousands of stations, one free app. iHeartRadio is that easy. Download the app today or listen online at iHeartRadio.com.
1: Welcome back again to Sports Econ One Hundred and One. Edward Brown here with Bruce McGowan and our special guest Ken Korak. Quick question here was who was the first NFL tight end to catch ten or more pass uh, touchdown passes in four seasons?
2: Four consecutive seasons or just four seasons in general?
1: I'm guessing it was four consecutive. Hmm.
2: I'm going to take a wild guess and say Dave Casper, but I have a feeling it wasn't Dave Casper. No,
1: it was after him. Ken, you lately. have any idea?
8: Well, Edward, let me... I was
1: going to say John Mackey. No, no, no. It's actually pretty recent, okay. actually. Maybe oh, like, more recent. Like more, much guess. much more recent. Okay. In fact, he's okay. still playing.
8: Well. Still playing?
1: Yeah.
2: But Gronkowski? Yes. Rob Gronkowski? Gunn- uh, who is out... Actually, he's uh, out for the season. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But,
1: <laughs> but he still gets credit yeah, for that.
2: he still gets credit for that. Wow.
1: <laughs> okay, so we have uh, Ken Korak, who is the announcer for the uh, Oakland A's, on the show now, and uh, actually he's been with us the whole time. We've been talking thanks, some thanks about Bill King. Bill yeah. King, yeah. yeah. And so... Um, Uh, Ken, tell us uh, what's going on with the Oakland A's for this year.
8: Well, it's a good question. I mean, we're still two months away from the pitchers and catchers reporting. I think much of the news involved what was going on behind the scenes in the front office, and that is that the A's have a new team president. And uh, Lou Wolf, who served as the um, managing partner for the A's for many, many years, um, has moved aside, and John Fisher has taken over in that role. Um, They both, of course, served as owners of the club, For many, many years going back to uh, around the the year the bill passed away back in 2005. So uh, there have been changes in the front office. Uh, I do know that, and I'm not with the club right now and wasn't in D.C. for the winter meetings, but a lot of their focus in terms of acquisitions um, has come um, with the outfield. Uh, They've been very frank about this, and I certainly agree that these really need to fortify their outfield. They feel good about the bullpen. They feel good about the infield and their young pitching. Uh, they have some very good young pitchers that I think could provide their, or help make up the foundation for a club that can contend down the road. I think they believe they're a couple of years away from that. But they need help in the outfield. There's no question about that. So uh, that's the focus right now.
2: Such a strange uh, situation with the A's because they've been in limbo over this ballpark issue, getting a new ballpark. And it seems as if that we've talked about this off-air off that even if they don't get a ballpark, they're kind of stuck in Oakland because there's no big city out there that could woo them with a ready-made Major League Park. So it's, it's not behooving Oakland to drag its feet, but it hasn't hurt Oakland, at least, uh, as it has with the Raiders, who have a, an alternative with possibly Las Vegas. What's the latest on the A's and their ballpark situation? Do you think they can get this thing finally built?
8: Um, I do. I do, and I think that part of the reason why there, there's been the momentum in that direction is what's been happening with the front office. I think there's a real focus on this now. Um, And A's fans have been down this road before. We all have. I've worked for this team for 21 years now, and so there's been a lot of disappointment and frustration. But my sense is this is going to happen, and I think Oakland is the perfect place for it to happen. Um, I've always said this, and as someone who has lived in the Bay Area almost full-time, at least off and off since 1979, I firmly believe that the Bay Area is a two-team baseball market. I think two teams click and flourish. It's happened before. And, uh, I think the it's not I'm not saying that automatically that a new stadium is a panacea for every franchise. I think in the case of the A's, it will be. I don't know exactly where it's going to happen, but I'm, I'm more encouraged now than I've ever been that something will happen and that maybe a, an announcement will come at least before the end of the next baseball season. So, I think it's it's imperative that that happens.
1: Now, would they tear down the old one and build it exactly where it's at, or would they remodel the current one, or just find a well, brand I don't new place?
8: Think, I think remodeling is out. Okay. There's no question that they, they really thoroughly considered that. But the infrastructure at the Coliseum is such that it would be uh, it's just, it would be much too much of a hassle, and it would be cost prohibitive to go in there, I think. And just
1: retrofit that's,
8: that's what I've been told by the A's to go in and do a remodel. Well, and also, also, you have the Raiders over the there. Is, yeah.
1: yeah. Well, you know, it's fine. I know I'm old Raiders. When, I was, when, when I can remember when a stadium was built and then potentially being teared, torn down. Yeah. That's sad. <laughs>
8: yeah, so I, I don't, there's no question that the, the Raiders situation uh, plays a part in this as well. Um, I think the easiest thing to do for the is let's say the Raiders weren't there, and that's if the Raiders wanted to move to Las Vegas, perhaps you could um, facilitate getting a new stadium built on the grounds of the Coliseum a lot easier. But there's a lot of work to be done from that standpoint, and obviously um, there's been some momentum um, in the East Bay for the Raiders to stay there. So I think there's a, there are a lot of variables of how this is going to work out. But,
1: but also, there's so much land that's needed, and land's very expensive. I mean, I don't know where else you'd put it besides where it's at Well, right they're now. talking
2: about, I guess, the Howard Freeman. Terminal south of Jack and Square. And, and as you mentioned, there's yeah. not a lot of land there. But I mean, could you build, could you fit it in there kind of like the Pac-Bell? Yeah, you or, could.
8: I'm not sure. You know, I'm not an expert on the stadium, but there are certainly issues um, with the environmental reports and getting everything done that you have to do behind the scenes. To make sure that you can actually build somewhere and then there's the egress and the egress and the part yeah. situation.
1: Well why not just, just tear it just, just tear it down? Well, you start from but stretch. you can't
2: but you can't do that though as long as raiders are there. You can't tear right. it down. Because well, if you, uh, maybe they can get them to play
1: somewhere where else. Where else are they going to uh, play?
2: The, the 49ers are not, aren't
8: going to ask them to Right, down. You, you know, downtown <laughs> Oakland. They, I don't know, there's a high
1: school uh, football stadium sure. close by. The
8: area around Laney College, I think people have talked about yeah. that. yeah That's
2: where Frank Field actually was, right yeah. in the Bears, Laney College. How about park Berkeley? They
8: to play there in their infancy, right? Yeah. And uh, Yeah, they did. We'll have to wait and see what happens. It's it's a the East Bay, Bay uh,
2: sports situation is interesting too because all three teams are kind of on the rise. The Raiders certainly have been a huge surprise this year. The Warriors are the best team in the NBA and coming off of two spectacular seasons. And the A's, despite all their problems of late, have shown that they can put together winning teams quickly. So it's it's really a great time to be a fan of East Bay teams, isn't it, Ken?
8: It really is, and um, and I think also that. Bill King becoming the Frick Award recipient really gave the A's fan base a, a boost of energy too, uh, and that's one of the reasons I think that that Bill uh, winning the Frick Award has been so meaningful mm. uh, because the, he, he meant so much to the fans. And so this is a, it's just a great time. Well, Obviously, we... the Raiders and the Warriors are playing great. We hope it happens for the A's again, but the A's have something to really celebrate. Uh, with Bill King as well.
1: So, uh, Ken, let me ask you from an economic standpoint: the the A's are notoriously known for a very low payroll, but yet somehow they get these. You know, except for the last couple of years, have not been terrific. But but they usually can put together some pretty good teams. W- why is that? I mean, you know, there's only so much Billy Bean and you know can do.
8: Well, they made a movie about it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they Matrix wrote, wrote and
8: a best-selling book about it. Um, I've been very fortunate. The A's during the time that I've done the games have been in the postseason eight separate times. And so they were at the forefront of a lot of the revolution when it came to analytics and advanced uh, statistical analysis. And they did a really good job with that. And um, you have to have really good people in your front office. And I I really do think that um, there's so much made of the payroll. And believe me, Billy would love to have a payroll of $150 million David Forrest, of course, the GM as well. But there's still a place for good development and drafting, good coaching, instructing in the minor leagues, uh, being very uh, smart in terms of your acquisitions. Now, the franchise, they don't have a whole lot of room for mistakes. There's no margin for error. But I still think that you can play the game the right way, even if your payroll isn't the size of some of these behemoths that you see in the game today. Uh, but there's no doubt that if they were to get into a new stadium that The revenue stream would increase, and some of the criticism, and it's hard, you know, I understand the frustration of the fans when you invest emotionally in a team, and then you see some of your best players moving on, and it would be great for the A's fans to have players they could latch on to and know that they'll be staying in the organization for a longer period of time.
1: I always thought it was a good idea to pay them kind of a base salary and give them bonuses based on performance.
8: Well, I'm not even sure. There are certain restrictions on that. Um, there, are, there are certain incentive clauses that, that players have. Um, a lot of them revolve around games played, things like that, where if you are able to play a certain number of games, then maybe a bonus would kick in or your salary for the next year would kick in. But, you know, there, there's a major league minimum. But yeah, you can't just Isn't pay a guy a hundred thousand dollars if you want to.
1: No, no, no. I, I understand about paying a minimum, but the, yeah. part of the problem with the uh, number of games played is some of that may not be under your control. I mean, it's the manager who decides. Right. You know who's going to play,
8: and it also can create some conflict. I'm not a huge fan of it, to be honest with you. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's uh, listen. The economics of the game, you know, they just um, ratified a new labor agreement, so there there there'll be five more years of labor peace, but. It is a very complex thing when you talk about um, salaries. And the other thing is when you spend a lot of money on a player, man, you've got if you're the A's, you've got to hit on a guy like that. Mm. And they spent yeah. uh, $30 million over three years for someone like Billy Butler. It didn't work out. You yeah. had to let him go last year before the end of his second year of the deal. So, like I said, you you, you really can't afford to make too many mistakes. Yeah, if you're a team like the A's,
2: yeah, we're we're getting short on time here, but we're talking with Ken Korak of the Oakland A's, the very fine broadcaster, and we mentioned at the top of the show we talked to a good deal about Bill King, his partner who who passed away 11 years ago, but who just recently was named the Ford Frick winner. That means that he's the top uh, b- baseball broadcaster this year to be named to the Hall of Fame. And and he, one thing we didn't mention about Bill, he did not like going. And it's no knock on the people, the good people of Texas who might be listening to this show, but he just did not like going to do games in texas because was it the weather down there what was it about texas that that just turned bill off because he never went to, to texas
8: <laughs> well he wouldn't he wouldn't go in the summertime as the schedule evolved he is for um, the end of bill's career would actually make three trips there and he would he would try to go the first trip maybe the last but certainly in the middle of the year in the heat of the summer he had a real aversion to that and he did not go um the biggest thing was the wind uh, Bill, you know, there's no middle ground for Bill in terms of his likes and dislikes. And one of the things he intensely disliked was wind because he <laughs> <Same> was <way. laughs> so organized when Bill walked into the booth. And Bruce, you've seen this. Yep. With all of his notes and media guides and scorebook and that huge binder that he had with him. And he had it all carefully planned out as to where everything would be during the game. Well, in Texas, the wind wreaked havoc with that it would blow everything all over the booth. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and deal with it.
2: Yeah, I remember I, the- I I told Ken- Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, Ken.
8: The other thing is is that this it's a difficult place to work, especially at night because you're a long ways away from the field. It's just mm-hmm. not a real comfortable place to be and so Bill was much more comfortable um, staying at home while the is were there at least in the heat it was a you know it could be oppressively hot and windy there mm. in the summertime
2: yeah and of course i was telling ken off off air a few days ago i was sitting in the booth in, in denver where i was going to school and college and doing stats for bill whenever the raiders would come to denver and one time the wind blew into the booth and blew everything every which way and bill turns off his mic and turns around and just looks at the sky and he goes you know, he just he about, let out the expletives. Yeah, the expletives. <laughs> and they were flowing.
8: And we were all like, whoa, this guy is P.O.'d. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. He, um, there was a volatile side for Bill. He didn't hold anything back. And yeah. that was something that was just so great about him.
2: Yeah, he was real. There was no question. It was authentic. There's no question. Okay. yeah.
1: Well, Ken, thank you so much for uh, joining us. That's uh, Ken Korak, for, Korak from the uh, Oakland A's broadcasting. You, you can
2: hear him on the A's broadcast if you want to listen to MLB.com.
1: And really quickly, you wrote a book, so we want to kind of help promote that. What uh, about Bill? King. Yeah.
8: Yeah, well, it's uh, titled Holy Toledo, Lessons from Bill King, Renaissance Man of the Mic.
1: There
2: you great. go.
8: And it is available on Amazon.
1: Great. Right. Thanks again, Ken. Appreciate it.
2: Thank
8: you, Edward. All right. And Bruce, it's great to be with you. All right. it's great
2: Thank to be you. having you on the show. Yeah, Ken's uh, book is wonderful, too. And I have to say that I was lucky enough, he quoted me a couple of times because I had some good Bill King stories, you know, having okay. known Bill King for so many years, uh, you can't help but have a few good stories about oh, I'm the name. sure. Yeah. All
1: right. Here we go. Here's our last trivia question about football. Football. What is the name of the NFC Championship Trophy?
2: Ah, yes. Good one. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: We all know what, what's the Super Bowl one.
2: I think it's the Burt Bell Trophy, isn't it? No, no, no it's, it's a Vince Lombardi, Lombardi Trophy. Vince Lombardi. Okay. All
1: right. So that's our question, though. Yeah. Is what is the NFC Championship Trophy? Email Edward at SportsEcon101 The answer to that question. Don't touch that dial. SportsEcon101 will be right back with some closing comments. Oh,
0: Call the CESI Debt Helpline right now for a free confidential debt review. 800-957-6063. 800-957-6063.
1: Welcome back to Sports Econ 101. Last time for today, I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with Bruce McGowan. Last trivia question we asked was, what is the name of the NFC Championship Trophy? That's
2: a good one. I, you know, it used to be the Burt Bell Award before Vince Lombardi retired uh, and passed away in the early 1970s. But I don't, I'm don't. i stumped. Uh, the George Hallis Trophy. George Hallis yeah. Trophy, yeah. yeah. Well, George Hallis, of course, was one of the original founders of the NFL. Played with the Decatur Staleys, who later became the Chicago Bears, and yeah. coached the Bears to some championships.
1: Very good. Now, before we cut out and get our thoughts of the day, I just wanted to mention one quick thing. Draymond Green does not like the new rule of the quote unnatural body moves, and makes uh, you know James Harden using his non shooting hand to move an opponent aside. He was kind of saying, "Well, what, what about that?" Yeah. But what I think he's missing is the fact that the NBA is trying to protect players from getting. Kicked in the groin. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, James Harden moving his hand is not going to really injure anybody. I think
2: that the whole thing is, if you've seen Draymond Green, that he reacted negatively towards LeBron James, who was stepping over him. And Draymond just kind of threw his foot up at at uh, LeBron and got suspended, and it cost him the game. The game it probably yeah. cost the Warriors the championship. Yeah. So Draymond's got to watch himself. He's a you know high energy, high emotionally you know uh, kind of he runs the gamut in terms of his emotions. So you, it's kind of hard to bottle that up. You know, he's not yeah. that kind of a guy. But I mean, he's
1: and you le- you watch him shoot, and you can tell he's not purposely trying to kick anybody. No. But he's he going to he, have to learn. To he kicks kick his, his
2: leg out. It's almost a reflexive thing. It's part of his. He not, did that
1: all the time, though. I don't know. It just That's seems like it'd like, be
2: interesting to ask him that. I'll have to ask him that next time I go to a Warrior game. I'm
1: sure Scott Adams uh, kind of protects himself every time he's uh, around uh, him now. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Thoughts for the day. A clear conscience is a sure sign of a bad memory. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. like that? And life is not about how fast you run or how high you climb, but how well you bounce. I like that one, I too. I guess that's kind of a bounce back, right? Bounce
2: back, yeah. Not too bad. There you bad. go. Somebody, we can learn a little something from Edwards. Uh, we call these Edwards axioms or, uh, <laughs> Yeah, or well, words of wisdom. Where do you get these things, anyway? I'm just um, curious. I, I
1: just look them up. But actually, there was one I invented, uh-huh. which and I've never seen before. And okay. I'm going to take credit for this one. And that is, honor is given, but respect is earned. Very good. You like I that? like that one. I love right, that you one. You honor your yeah. parents, but yeah, yeah. I think
2: I've heard that somewhere, though. Right that here. That's from me,
1: exactly. Sports okay. Econ 101. That's right. Tune in <laughs> next week to Sports Econ 101. We're going to be discussing sports topics from a business perspective and uh, asking more sports trivia questions. Thanks for listening. On behalf of our team, I'm your host, Edward Brown. We'll see you next week. Good night, America. So long.